We're going to hear from the Word of God now, so I think I'm inviting Gudrun and Mike to come and read. Um, page 408, Psalm 60, um, 1 to 6. <clears throat> you have rejected us, O God, and burst forth upon us. You have been angry, now restore us. You have shaken the land and torn it open, mend its fractures for its quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. Save us and help us with your right hand that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph, I will parcel out Shechem um, and um, measure off the valley of Sukkoth. Our second reading this morning is Acts chapter 28. You'll find this on page 794 of your Bibles. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta, and the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us, all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he must be a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on the, in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods of Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days, and from there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Petoli, and there we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as, uh, as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, 
My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And they replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come up from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what, are, what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in ever larger numbers to the place where he was staying. And from morning till evening he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will never be hearing, you will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Please do keep uh, that part of Acts open. Uh, let me add my welcome. My name is Mark, uh, one of the ministers here. It's uh, my privilege to bring the word to you this morning. Well done for uh, making it. Holidays have begun. Uh, you've resisted the temptation to run in a marathon, so congratulations. Uh, instead, we have the great privilege of the Lord God addressing us in his word. We've come to the end of uh, the book of Acts. We've been working our way through it, if you've been here amongst us regularly, uh, seeing what the risen Lord did uh, when he first arose and worked through his people to see the message spread, been looking at it that we might be encouraged ourselves, inspired, enthused, excited about what it is that the risen Lord Jesus might do in us. Uh, why don't we pray that he might speak to us now? Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word and its power. Uh, we thank you that uh, in your word we can know you and by your word we can be transformed to be like you. Uh, Father, by your spirit, apply your word to our hearts and minds this morning, we pray. Speak to us clearly that we might uh, share your passions and live in such a way that pleases and honours you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've read two quotes this week that have been uh, rattling in my brain, just rattling around in my mind. Two, two quotes capturing the dilemma of uh, desire and reality. You know, one, one, one quote I read captured where I, want, where I personally want to be, but where I want us all as a church to be. Uh, the other 
captures where often the reality is. Uh, The first is the very end of that reading Nick just brought to us. A quote that captures where I pray would be mirrored in our church. A passion to proclaim Jesus. Have a look again at 28 verse 30. Uh, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful quote. It's it's that passion to make Jesus known. Uh, These closing words of Acts are are really the closing word of the whole book. It's the fulfilment of what Jesus promised at the start of the book. In in 1 verse 8, Acts 1 verse 8, uh, Jesus, the, the risen Lord, told his apostles, you wait here, but when you receive power from on high, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And, and here we're in chapter 28, and we've made the ends of the earth, so to speak. We, we've, we've got the Apostle Paul doing that in Rome. He is there in the, the heart of the Gentile Empire. He's there in that passage to the ends of the earth. Yes, Paul is under house arrest, but he's still passionate about proclaiming Jesus. He stayed in his own rented house, quite literally. Um, the, the idea is he is there at his own expense. So he is paying for it. He's working to sustain himself. But his hospitality is whenever somebody comes, he welcomes them who come to see him. It's kind of the idea. Of, he, he just downs his tools at any point to chat to people about the Lord Jesus, to, to speak to them about the kingdom. You know, that's passion, isn't it? Like he, It's self-funded, but he's not gripped by his work. He sees there's something greater and bigger. And he speaks boldly and he speaks without hindrance, uh, even though he knows that all he's talking of Jesus is what got him arrested. And he preached the kingdom of God. He engaged people's wills and their intentions to acknowledge there is a greater king and there is a greater cause that you need to be involved with, not just meeting your personal issues. No, no, get on board with what the kingdom of God is doing. And he talked about the Lord Jesus. And he engaged people's uh, hearts and minds about the life and work of Christ himself. Paul is he's passionately gripped to proclaim Jesus. And that's one of the quotes that's been rattling around in my mind this week. You know, it's, it's what I want for me, it's what I want for our church, to be those kind of people who are passionate to make Jesus known. The other quote I've been reflecting on is longer. Uh, it struck me, I was reading a book called Comeback Churches. Uh, it's a quote about Christians who are weary and worn and, and stretched. Uh, weary and worn is a phrase we often hear from pastors at, family, at Focus on the Family. Uh, I don't think our colleagues are complaining, I just think they're stressed to the max and they need a place to find a place where they can lean back against a shade tree and relax. One pastor wrote us recently, I grow weary, I wrestle with my own needs, how to continue fresh in spiritual growth, how to nurture family life, how to be faithful and accountable in my personal life. He probably could have continued with a longer list of things that help create challenges. We all could. It it struck me because uh, in light of what I desire from Acts, I wondered if this weary and worn description fits us more accurately. Everyone I know feels stretched. Now, whether it's work or the children or keeping up with friends, we feel stretched. Uh, as, as much as we hope that, that over the horizon things will get a little bit easier, it doesn't. You know, at work, you transfer to a different role that, that, that might have exciting and fresh opportunities, but they're no less stretching and demanding. 
Uh, with children, you think, oh, great, once they get to school, terrific, I'll have a bit more time and it'll be easier. Only to discover that homework and to, you know, ferrying them to all their commitments from ballet to gymnastics to Oztag to just talking about my life here uh, actually make the days longer. And then you want to add in proclaiming Jesus, you know, dropping everything to welcome people who want to learn about him or even just talking about serving at a roster on church and, you know, perhaps even speaking of these kind of things, you know, weariness is already spreading into your mind even as I say them. You know, we've come to this final sermon in Acts and by this stage I'm feeling that tension between the desire to be passionate about making Jesus known and whether our reality is just being worn out and weary. Now, how do we shift from one place to the other? Now, and even if we're not completely stretched, how do we increase our passion to proclaim Jesus to others? Well, the answer that Acts 27 and 8, these two chapters uh, give us, is in seeing that God is in control. Seeing God is in control, even over the discouragements and the distractions that wear us down. That's what I want us to grasp this morning. I want you to be encouraged to proclaim Christ because God is in control even over the discouragements. Now, Acts 27 and 8 is, first of all, honest about the discouragements. Uh, chapter 27, which we didn't read, but Steph and our kids acted out for us so beautifully, uh, it is dominated by this disastrous sea trip. Uh, so chapter 26, if you skip a page back, it finished with uh, the, the declaration Paul was innocent, but because he appealed to Caesar, he still needs to head off to Rome. And so in 27 verse 1, it's decided Paul and these other prisoners are going to be shipped off to Italy. Uh, difficulties, as you read through it, throw out the timetable and, and winter gets a little bit closer. So uh, 27 verse 9, Paul makes this prediction about the trip. Uh, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and going to bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our lives also. Uh, they didn't listen. Uh, the chapter rolls on and Paul is proven right. And they're there caught in the high sea. I'm not going to make you do the wind noise. We don't have to pretend at this point we're still in the boat. But, you know, feel it. Uh, it's written with, with massive detail, so you do feel it's really happening and you're caught in amongst it. And it gets so disastrous that by 27 verse 20, if you flick over to there, you get the feeling of the nearly 300 people on board uh, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging we finally gave up all hope of being saved they are massively discouraged all hope is gone uh, nine days later after about two full weeks of this storm being out of control they've been offloading precious cargo which is basically throwing cash into the sea because that's where they would have been paid for you know that's how desperate and hopeless the situation is they spot land so they dump the last of the cargo in verse 38 and they even dump the anchors and their plan is we'll just drive this into the beach but unfortunately in verse 41 they hit a reef the ship is torn apart everyone has to swim or float to shore and then we picked it up where, where Nick read to us from chapter 28. They arrive in Malta, but the discouragements physically don't stop. Uh, in verse 3, Paul is bitten by a viper. Even after they get through and survive the Maltese experience, uh, they go on to Rome, uh, and Paul is still a prisoner. He's not free to speak about Jesus. The discouragements uh, are real. And, and Acts 27 and 8 are honest about these physical discouragements, all the reasons that, that you'd have to lose heart. But that's not the worst of it. The worst discouragement is the way the message is received. Uh, in, although in, in 28 verse 21, uh, the Jews hadn't got any bad mail about Paul yet, 
they had heard that everyone is speaking against this sect of Christianity. In verse 23, they, they arranged to find out from Paul on a certain day. They, they come in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. And from morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God. He tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. You know, he is working hard to explain Jesus. He is putting himself out there. But the response he gets at first is mixed. And then as he goes on, he sees it's worse than mixed. Uh, by verse 26, he's saying, these are the people Isaiah, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah about. You know, people who, who see the information, who hear and look at the evidence, but they refuse to acknowledge its truth. Their hearts are hard. They don't want to admit to what, what God is like and what he has done in Jesus, and they won't repent and they won't turn back. You know, Paul has, has gotten to Rome and his people, God's people, they won't listen to God's message. Yeah, that's the ultimate discouragement, isn't it? You know, more than the physical stuff that he keeps going through. They don't want to hear him. You know, the, the, the final chapters of Acts are, are honest about the discouragements that, that would give every reason to wear us down. You know, from physical hardships to, to the way speaking of Jesus gets rejected. Our Connect group was discussing the other night what makes it hard for us to stand firm in Jesus. Uh, what I found helpful was, was just how, as we shared, uh, weariness in the gospel can come from every direction. <laughs> you know, for some, it was um, the success of other people who, who actually reject the gospel but are still doing really, really well. You know, and you can imagine Paul feeling that as, uh, in all his faithfulness, he's still there chained up. You know, for some, it was the, the comfort of, of life actually distracts for others it was the hardships of circumstance and suffering that makes it hard to stick and not be worn down you know discouragement and weariness can can come from all directions and thankfully acts is honest about that and that's helpful for us yeah it helps us because acknowledging hardships avoids that crushing effect of disappointment yeah it shapes our hope properly our expectation properly See, if Acts had concluded with a Hollywood ending, and you can imagine they could have, you know, blockbuster story, made it to Rome, you could have, you know, imagine if you finished, Paul gets exonerated, maybe given a title and some land and, you know, some respect. Um, Caesar gets converted because he's just so excited to hear of Jesus, a greater king, and bows down to him, and, and the Jews become Christians en masse, and, and the empire all turn over overnight and start following Christ. And, and if that had happened, we'd expect, yeah, that, that should be our experience, shouldn't it? And anything less would be crushingly disappointing. But this ending, this true ending, with the reality of the discouragements that we face as we want to proclaim Jesus in the world means we're not fooled with false expectations. At our getaway weekend, we looked at 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians is a beautiful letter if you haven't read it recently. It's a raw letter. Uh, Paul is very raw and he's very open about the hardships and the discouragements that, that we face as we want to make Jesus known and we want to serve him. It was a sobering part of the word. I know um, from Getaway, some people didn't like it. Uh, there was uh, some feedback that the, the, the tone and the theme was discouraging to talk about such things. Uh, but one woman shared how helpful it was to acknowledge the difficulties of ministry. Uh, she said how the world keeps offering comfort and pleasure and happiness. And when the world tells me that, I think I should get it. And so I get disappointed. And so it's helpful to have reality spelt out. Hearing reality reminds me ministry is hard. 
And so me finding it hard at the moment is good. See, if you are feeling uh, weary and worn and a little stretched at the moment, and, and you, that's okay. That's actually not surprising. You know, Acts 27 and 8 is honest about the hardships, but, but we don't stop there. This section is really about the encouragement to keep proclaiming Jesus, how the discouragements don't overwhelm us. Why? Because God is in control. Uh, two features I want to pull out of his control. One is that his promises never fail. And secondly, that some will respond. You know, first, his promises never fail because he's in control. You know, Paul is encouraged through that disaster at sea in chapter 27. So in the midst of the storm, uh, Scott did it for us, but Paul stood up, uh, 27 verse 22, and he is telling them to take courage. Again, in verse 25, he tells them to keep your courage. In verse 36, if you skip down there, two weeks into the storm, they are encouraged. Why? Because Paul knows the promises of God. So back in 23, verse 11, the Lord stood by Paul's side and he promised, Paul, you were going to testify in Rome. And the Lord, again, reaffirmed that promise. 27, verse 23, an angel of God stood beside Paul again and promised he would appear before Caesar. Yeah, they are delivered at sea because nothing can stop the promises of God. Yeah, since uh, the first time uh, Paul, it was mentioned to Paul that he was going to go to Rome, uh, back in chapter 23, since then uh, he has been arrested, he has faced trials, uh, he has been imprisoned for several years, uh, threatened assassination, uh, almost murdered by soldiers and poisoned by a viper and that's without mentioning the kind of disastrous shipwreck scene. And Paul's preservation through all this is not a promise that God is going to shield you from harm. It's not that. It isn't seeking to explain why some Christians live comfortable lives and some, people, some Christian people suffer greatly. That's not what it's trying to do. It's trying to make clear that God is in control and God keeps his promises. And that's what can make us bold and take heart and overcome weariness if our hope is clearly on what God promises us. You know, no circumstance can rattle us if that's the case. Yes, we might be weary, but if our desires and dreams are on what we can, we, can, we can point our finger to here in Scripture, then we won't be overcome. John Wesley, the, the, I suppose a leading light of Methodism, a great preacher of Christ back in the 18th century, he was, he was deeply imp impacted by a group who understood this. He was on a trip uh, coming from England to North America uh, and he was caught in a, a life-threatening storm, not unlike that of Acts 27. Uh, and the English passengers on board, they were kind of shrieking with fear, they'd kind of dropped the stiff upper lip and they were just kind of falling to pieces. Uh, and Wesley confessed later that he found to his horror he was afraid mortally afraid of dying it shook him but there was a group of moravian christians christians from germany who were also on board and in the midst of the storm they were singing hymns and so after the storm wesley they, they survived you know, after the storm wesley asked a man why 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 weren't you afraid of dying weren't you afraid Thank God no is his response. Sounds like there's excitement out there, not least excitement on the ship with Wesley. I'm sure it'll be dealt with. You want to know what happens to Wesley, don't you? Now, Wesley pushed it a little further with them and said, what about your women and children? Weren't, weren't they scared? 
No, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. And that encounter profoundly impacted Wesley about the nature of real hope. Here were people, they didn't expect to be delivered from the storm, but they didn't lose heart in any circumstance because that wasn't their hope. Yet their hope was in the God whose promises never fail. Their hope is in what he actually promises. You know, we make that shift from weary and worn to boldly proclaiming by, by putting our trust, locating our trust, our focus, our dreams, our desires in the promises of God, what God has actually said. Uh, I've been reading another great book this week, Surprised by Hope. It's a little play on C.S. Lewis's Surprised by Joy. Uh, but if the opening chapter of it is true, uh, then it's very sad. The guy who wrote it wrote the book because he made an observation that Christians in our day, from our songs to um, our liturgy to our funeral services, we're more confused about what God really promises than in days gone by. Now, and if that's true, if it's true that our hope is more of things we've made up rather than things that God has said to us, then it's no surprise that we will be weary and worn and not very bold. If we are going to be bold, we need to know the promises of God. We need to commit them to memory. We need to live by them. How do we get bold? We remember, first of all, that God is in control and he doesn't fail. Second reason for courage, God is in control and some will respond. Yeah, we can proclaim Christ boldly because the elect, that is those, those who are chosen by God before the beginning of time to be, to be part of his kingdom, the elect, they are out there somewhere. Uh, in chapter 28, in verse 15, Paul is encouraged because when he arrives in Rome, there are already Christians there to meet him. So earlier in Acts, uh, God's word spread beyond Jerusalem. Even though the, the apostles were actually disobeying God, they were staying comfortably in Jerusalem. They didn't want to go out, so persecution took it out there. So God is bigger than any individual servant. Uh, it's the same here when he gets to the end. Uh, Paul is told, you take the message to Rome, and when he arrives, the word's beaten him to it. Now, God's word has already spread there. Yeah, and their Christian welcome gives him heart and encourages him. Uh, again, 28 verse 28. Paul is encouraged because God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. The language of will there is emphatic, it is certain. Yeah, Paul is emboldened to teach about Jesus. Even though the people he loves, his own people have rejected it, no, no, there will be some, the Gentiles, who will lap it up. Yeah, we proclaim boldly because some will respond. A story is told of a man who uh, did a, a long-term door-knocking ministry in New York, decades worth of doing this, going from you know, house to house, apartment to apartment block, knocking on doors, and he kept going door after door. And what kept him going was the confidence that the elect are out there somewhere, I just don't know which door yet. They're out there somewhere, just haven't found them yet. You know, he knew that God was in control and some will listen. We keep proclaiming Jesus to, to our server, to Kirribilli and around to Sydney because the elect are there somewhere. We just, we just don't know their address yet. You know, this week there was more talk of Christian scripture being um, overhauled and removed for a, a kind of multi-faith uh, program taught by teachers rather than volunteers in our state schools. And yet it would be really sad if we lost that, that, that avenue to teach people about Jesus. But either way, we don't lose heart, we don't grow weary. God is in control and some will respond. Now this is for our church, the year of reaching those we know. 
And we've been talking a lot about putting a, a, a prayer list together of three friends that we want to see come to Christ this year. And we keep telling them of Jesus because some will respond. Because God is in control. Now that, that desire to make Jesus known and yet the reality of feeling weary and worn, both those things in my mind have been rattling back and forward this week and I hope now they're rattling in yours. Even more, I hope that you've held on to and grasped just a little more the sheer control of God, even over things that might wear you down and discourage you. Because if you grasp that, that will shift us. The ending of Acts is is actually quite open. Yeah, we don't hear what happens to Paul. You know, did Luke not find out? Did he have a, a publishing deadline? He had to get this book out there in time, didn't have time to find out the verdict? No. Is it the Jews failed to prosecute Paul and, and he got let off? Was, was he tried and exonerated? Was he tried and executed? You know, we don't hear what happens to Paul because it doesn't matter. It's, it's left open to invite us to share in what really matters. What really matters is what we end on. The gospel being boldly proclaimed. That's the main game. Evangelism, getting it out, making Jesus and his kingdom known. I know that many of us here feel weary and worn and stretched. But be encouraged. In Christ, God has acted once and for all to save humanity. As someone put it, if we love this world as God does, we will want to tell it of this liberating good news. This business will consume our passion till the day we die. Why don't we pray we get consumed by it? Our Lord and Father, we thank you. We thank you for the message of Christ and his kingdom. We thank you that it is liberation. We thank you that you are the one who rules over all and despite the discouragements that might come our way, we know that you're in control. And Father, help us to see that clearly. Help us to uh, put our hope in what you've really told us. And by that, Father, we pray that we would become bold bold to make the good news of Christ known uh, to those around us. We ask it for their sake, for our sake, and ultimately for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.